Project Lawful aka Plane Crash by Yarwain aka Eliezer Yudkowski and Lintamande. Thread 4, Project Lawful and Their Oblivious Boyfriend. Episode 78. When Sevar and Subirax reconvene to see if Sevar's soul will be saleable, the Grand High Priestess of Asmodeus is also there. There are many reasons for this, but mainly because it is now also her duty to deal with tropes, as it is her duty to deal with gods. The degree to which Keltham has guessed that something might go wrong with this sale, which is far more probable than Keltham has any just reason to believe, is sufficient for Aspexia to consider what it is she must now do if a trope is controlling this situation fully. And if clarification from hell is forthcoming, let her perhaps be present to hear it in person, and even ask a question or two. Such as, if the Grand High Priestess of Asmodeus and Golarion is permitted to know as much, why exactly is Sivar's soul so valuable? There is not much here for her to do with the Grand High Priestess so close by. Grand High Priestess, says Carissa, and takes out the contract which she and Keltham signed. I represented it to Keltham that I'm going to get permanent arcane sight and have the rest paid out in spell silver. He won't know how much spell silver it ought to be, and I think with assistance I could cast a permanent detect magic instead to imitate. If I'm unable to sell my soul. Obviously, I hope I'll just be able to sell my soul. Aspexia has generated some such possibilities herself. I have made some such advance arrangements, should they be needed. Keltham will not expect you to tarry long here, and he may ask to see any such ability proven, given all his suspicions. Another option in that same case is to claim that there is to be more payment later, with their ownership of your soul's indenture to be revoked if they cannot complete that payment within the year. But your afterlife arrangements are in place right now and safe. I admit, I am somewhat concerned now about the consequences of what lies this lie must then imply. Will Keltham ask to speak with you, perhaps, see you scried if you are dead and not yet raised, expecting to see you comfortably in some safe hell? There is much that can be done with illusion, and yet, I worry. Keltham is a little to us like a god is to a mortal, or sometimes a mortal to a god, in that it is hard for us to think of all the thoughts that he may think. Yes. I would almost advocate for being truthful with him, except that his theory is that if I'm unable to sell my soul, it's because I'm a secret cleric of Zonkuthon, which does not seem useful for any of our goals, and which we're sure is not what's going on here. Whatever is. I will perform that check on you at once, if you prove unable to sell your soul, as it was represented to Keltum that we would. He's back, alone, and frowning. Who are you? He demands at once of the new, somewhat respectably high-level cleric of Asmodeus, who has presumed to intrude upon his bargaining. Grand High Priestess of Asmodeus in Galarian, Aspexia Rugaton, I may perhaps have additional questions for you, depending on what eventuates now. He doesn't have another devil with him. Carissa feels probably more disappointed than anyone has ever felt about not getting to sell their soul. She wanted her wishes and her spell silver and her arcane sight and her tongues and her 
not having to worry quite so much about being a heretic. Are you under the impression that your mortal rank among mortals entitles you to the deference of a greater devil? I am under the impression that I do our Lord's work, serve our Lord's interests, and you will answer my questions in the service of our Lord's interests, unless you have good reason to believe that Asmodeus desires me not to know a thing. Conduct your business, devil of contracts. My time is also valuable. Oh. Without another word, Glossia Labalas turns to Carissa Savar. It seems your soul may not yet be sold to us. It is, it seems, a good sign that you came to us more eagerly this time than upon your last. But there is yet some affirmation, renunciation, that must be completed by someone or with someone, and it is not of you alone, nor of Asmodeus alone, before Asmodeus gives you his leave. Our Lord is eager to have you. That much is clear. There is an obvious guess here, but he is forbidden to tell Carissa Sevar if she does not know. There's a God agreement of some kind, isn't there? And I triggered it. Are you allowed to tell me who? I cannot even tell you if your guess is true. Tell me, alone or in company as you prefer, why Savar's soul has so much value that three wishes would be something hell would even consider. Carissa Sivar, will you agree to seek me as your agent for compacting in the future? If in return I agree to do my best to see that you then receive the price you named today, and not one grain of spell silver less, even if I must go seeking among every devil of dis. Perhaps by the time Asmodeus permits me to sell my soul, my estimation of my worth to hell will have grown, and I will not settle for this price. No. Then, if he is to profit nothing from all this, let the next devil after him profit little more. He cannot tell Carissa Savar outright, for of which things are forbidden to speak, and to who, it is also forbidden to speak. But at suitable levels of abstraction over the secrets of secrets, it becomes permissible to hint. To answer your question fully is something that is forbidden, he tells then the importunate priestess. But Carissa Sevar and her ilk, it is speculated by some in dis, might prove apt at training petitioners or even devils. To answer more than one such question is below the pride of hell, even for a priestess bent on their lord's work. And so Glossia Labalas now turns and turns again and departs Golarion empty-handed. At best, there may come some future apportion of favor for the contract he wrote for Carissa Sevar and her mortal, if that seed ever bears its own fruit. Dis thinks we might do it, she whispers, very quietly, watching him go. Might transform how devils are taught, figure out how to do it faster, make them better, make law something they can wield like Dathalon can, or even better. Yes, Asmodeus would pay three wishes for that. He ought to pay a hundred wishes for that, really, though she shouldn't get all of them to herself. I will now examine you immediately, as Keltham was promised, Sevar. Stand fast. The examination is much faster when the Grand High Priestess does it than when Carissa last went through this process, but it is still not instant. She feels like some part of her is being poked, and maybe even this time like she can feel herself shrinking away. She's not very worried she's become a secret cleric in the last day and a half, but she obediently holds still. 
there are two people in all of mortal Galarian who might reason along the pathway that Aspexia Rugaton now reasons, and one of them has been in Galarian less than a week. Done. The results are as expected. Should the question arise, you may tell Keltham that you are no hidden cleric. Though, if we are to pretend your soul has been sold this day, he should have no further reason to keep asking. For what it's worth, even taking into account all tropes, I do at this point truly disbelieve as strongly as any mortal may disbelieve in anything that there is any part of you which is a cleric of Zan Kuthan. You may come with me momentarily, Sevar, to engage in such petty and expensive manipulations as are needed to give permanent detect magic to one still of Fourth Circle. Subirax, a word before then. Hidden clerics are practically unheard of, so this is incredibly unsurprising, though Carissa notes the wording very carefully so she can convey it to Keltham later. Subirax follows Rugaton a sidestep, to be surrounded a moment later by silence and mist. Subirax, you failed the last time I tested you in matters such as these. And yet, as I have not failed to notice, you still aspire to the position of Most High. Answer me this riddle if you'd be considered again as a candidate for my crown. You have been told such as we know of tropes. What should I have done if my examination had shown Sevar to be an unfinished cleric of a lawful neutral god? Subirax does not, of course, panic. There is nothing particularly heretical about maneuvering early to be considered as a possible next Grand High Priestess if anything should happen to the current one. She has in fact not done the slightest thing to undermine Aspexia Rugaton or bring her any danger. We should certainly not inform Keltham, Subarax states. He would then come to believe that tropes govern. A chelish child could guess at such concealments. And Sever? The obvious answer is to have Sever renounce her unwanted clerical allegiance. If Rugaton's examination had really shown that just now, then Carissa would almost surely be unaware of it in truth, as Keltham predicted. If the obvious answer and obvious reason were the true one, Aspexia Rugaton would not have laid this down as a challenge to touch her crown may be subject to unknown God agreements which we should not so lightly trespass upon in our Lord's name, Sibirox states. One also observes that Sevar is less than perfectly disentangled from Keltham, and that, if she herself knows that tropes govern her, she may not be able to conceal her newfound belief from Keltham. Aspexia slaps her heart across the face, more of a rebuke than a punishment. You are aping my ways and comprehending none of them. If you cannot surpass the test, know your place and say so. You are not ready to lay eyes upon my crown, Subarax, and at this rate, you never will be. There isn't actually anyone worthy of Rugaton's crown except Rugaton, and if something happens to her, the church will need a grand high priestess anyways. Subarax keeps this thought to herself. She doubts Rugaton wishes to be reminded of it. The true answer, Most High. Keltham told us over and over that if Carissa was somehow a hidden cleric, all tests would not avail to detect her whatever was tried. 
Keltham just now wondered if some strange pathway might somehow lead to Saver not truly selling her soul while appearing to have sold her soul and then also evading the test then applied to her, he demanded it occur immediately afterwards. Do you now see what one should do, and why, upon detecting Savar as the hidden cleric of a lawful neutral god? She considers it. I do not, Most High, she answers frankly this time. A disappointment, like so many others. Consider this. Who is not allowed, by the trope, to detect Carissa Savar by any test, if she is a hidden cleric? Somebody on Galarian knows. A god at least knows. The trope does not prevent the fact from being known to anyone. If there is a conspiracy in Cheliax to hide the fact from Keltham, does this violate the trope because the conspiracy knows it? My understanding of tropes suggests no. Then upon detecting Carissa Savar as the cleric of a lawful neutral god, although it might indeed be very much in our own interests in that case, to have Savar renounce that link somehow formed and make new sale of her soul, if that was the obstacle, we cannot tell her. Do you understand? If we now tell Sivar or Keltham, we would not have been able to perform the test successfully in the first place, just as the test performed on Sivar last time, when she would have been told, did not then detect her. Keltham would not have arrived in this plane, Perhaps the entirety of this reality would have failed to ever exist if that event could have any other outcome from Sivar's and Keltham's perspective. Oh, and in case you had still failed to comprehend as much, Carissa Savar is in fact the unfinished cleric of a lawful neutral god, very likely Irori. What am I to do, Most High? I fear these tropes are beyond me. If another trope threatens... Treat it the same as you would a meddling god with unshattered prophecy, which is to say, refer it all to me because it is beyond you. As for your cultivation of Savar, continue it the same as before. We already wished Savar to distance herself from Irori. Rugaton emerges from her conference with Subirax, neither of them particularly readable as to what might have been said there. Savar she states. You have an appointment with a ley line, a sacrifice, and a five-the-circle scroll. Let us be swift about this, for Keltham may not expect this matter to take long. Yes, Grand High Priestess. She didn't actually know you could get a caster-level boost from a sacrifice. Permanent detect magic, here she comes. Is it a human sacrifice? Probably it is unasmodean to care if it's a human sacrifice. Aspexia Rugaton takes Sivar by the arm and teleports, of which she has her means. It's not a person. It's a tame warg. Clearly someone's prized attack animal. Carissa feels a rush of relief about that which she absolutely merits punishment for, and accepts the sacramental blade enchanted with a beautiful spell she has no time to look at, and gets to work on enhancing her caster level sufficiently to give herself permanent detect magic from a scroll. Keltham is pacing inside the fortress, back of the entranceway was exit that Carissa used. It is not considered safe for him to go any further, let alone outside. He would not be sufficiently scry-warded. If Carissa comes back and everything is fine, then he can probably give up on terror of random tropes, right? 
The conflict didn't happen with the queen. Asmodia does not seem to have superpowers. If Carissa is no kind of hidden cleric, and her afterlife arrangements go fine, and their romantic options contract, proves not to be a setup for some huge awfulness. He'll be able to say that all this trope business is more the sort of thing he ends up calling afterwards than the sort of thing he can call in advance and he should be less afraid the next time he thinks up an advance prediction of something terrible. Isidre won't be a hidden criminal mastermind either. It takes what feels like far too long, but then his Carissa returns to him, looking radiantly pleased with herself. It worked fine, she says. I got arcane sight and a lot of spell silver, and the Grand High Priestess came by and poked me personally and said that she believes as strongly as mortals can believe things that I'm not a hidden cleric of Zonkuthon, which I wasn't very worried, but I know you were. Or a hidden cleric of anything else, or a stealthed cleric that is not hidden in the sense of now being known to her. Also, what cantrip am I casting behind my back? Message. Technically, arcane sight only lets me see that it's a cantrip and a transmutation— to see the actual spell structure I need to see you cast it, but I know its message since that's the transmutation you hung today. She said that I was no hidden cleric, and I didn't press her on whether that technically covered all possible kinds of clerics who might be in various possible states of knowing and known, but also I don't think the devil could have bought my soul, had a god already claimed it. And the devil actually did buy your soul which you haven't actually said in those words, and there did not happen any incredible shenanigan behind the scenes while I was not there, which explains for perfectly logical reasons why governance would have to lie about whether you'd sold your soul successfully and fake the arcane sight thing. Keltham will now roll his sense motive against Carissa's bluff, with a plus five bonus for surprising her with this startling insight. The devil actually did buy my soul, in what I think was a completely normal devil-buying-soul transaction, aside from the part where he thought it was weird the Grand High Priestess was hovering, looking totally unawestruck. The devil gave me arcane sight and a lot of spell silver in exchange for my soul, which he bought. Bluff, 34. Part of me is having trouble believing it, because if I believe that, it means I'm basically safe from what my brain predicts are horrible things that will happen to me because of tropes, like the options contract being sweet and romantic, and thereby implying that something horrible will happen to our relationship as a result, and my actually being safe, like that seems too good to be true in a world where Caden, Kalian, is suddenly doing my snacks catering. Keltham's sense motive, Lowell, plus five. I totally predict many horrible things will happen between here and civilization, but I'm kind of planning to feel safe where I can along the way. That's extremely sensible. My brain, which apparently is very reluctant about believing in that safety business because it thinks that's going to get me killed or worse, has instead entered a weird state where part of it has decided that this, of all things, is the proof that everything around me is an elaborate lie. I'm probably not going to be in a very sexual mood until it recovers. I would still like to go to our bedroom and cuddle with the person that part of my brain thinks is a cleric unknown to herself, because you know, the Grand High Priestess would totally have had some incredibly logical reason for lying to her about that, or doing the technical truth thing, after they faked the soul sale. Carissa's internal screaming is quite deafening. Well, we can put up a poster, is Carissa a secret cleric, and everyone can place their guesses, and we can see who gets points from who, and we can cuddle, 
Okay, yeah, that actually helps to hear you say, I am a little worried about how much Dath Alani being sane relies on them having anything else sane around them, and the thought of having to write down my insanity as a fraction on a poster like I was a tiny kid again is actually very, very helpful here. Bedroom? Snuggly Carissa. You know, you don't have to warn me whether you're going to want sex or not. I don't mind not being sure. Keltham is holding her pretty tightly. Not trying to update relationship model right now, too busy trying to convince a slice-through-my-mind structure that you're not going to die in the next hour. I can shut this all down if necessary or in any emergency. I am not out of control of myself. It's just, I have a sense it's wiser to wait it out. Okay, I'm... Sorry you're so scared, even if I don't really understand. I'm here. I'm not going away. Not ever, if you don't want that. The thing with Kate and Kaylee and catering my snacks really, really did not flaming help with anything. It really didn't. Finding out the way I did didn't help either. This whole world seems so barely real, like I'm supposed to go to the layer past, saying I notice that I am confused, and say, this is not reality, and wake up out of it. Oh, he's finally having his metaphysical panic attack. That's also in meta-deconstructed arrow-larp trope. He always wondered how you would get a realistic sane person to the point of actual metaphysical panic when, like, they knew the math, and now Keltham knows. I'm really sorry about that. I feel like it's my fault, because the site manager was telling me things to pass on to you, and I bet he'd have told me that, only I didn't report yesterday. Well, you've got to expect some costs and consequences like that when you rent your girlfriend to be surprised kidnapped by the Queen of Cheliacs. His arms tighten more around her. Small, happy squeak. I'm glad you did. It's okay if you never do anything like it again, but now I know what it's like. Hey, there's something I want to do that I don't know if you'd recognize or understand, and I'm not in shape to explain it properly. I want to let the part of me that doesn't believe in any of this talk to you. It won't be all of Keltham that's talking, and you shouldn't panic about what it says. If you can't, make that mental separation between that part of me and my whole if part of you will think on some deep level that it was the real Keltham talking, then I shouldn't do it. I think I can handle that, she says quietly. Okay. It says I'm sorry. This is the most terrifying interaction Carissa has ever had except for the one while she was being tortured to death. What for? I'm sorry that Keltham hasn't seen through all this. He has enough information, and he's refusing to see it because he doesn't want to believe. I'm sorry that Keltham is refusing to realize what... what's being done to you. To make you do all this. The threats being held over you that people in Galarian yield to. What they had to do to you to force you to lie and be part of this and have sex you didn't want when he didn't turn you on at all. To pretend to gasp in pleasure while he was hurting you. And hurting you. Keltham is crying. At some point, Carissa's going to have to stop having her brain just flail in panic internally and force it to produce some outputs. Outputs. Those what? Good girlfriend. What does a good girlfriend say to that? But actually, what? If she were a paladin, she's not sure she could figure out what to say to that. She is not at all. She has built a firm wall internally against parsing any of what Keltham is saying as real sympathy for the real Carissa, who he would hate, if he knew. 
Thinking about that is the road to feelings about that, and the literal only advantage of feelings about that are that Abigail would like them. The rest of the time, worse than useless. Good girlfriend. What do good girlfriends say about these words that do not mean anything to them? Oh, she says quietly. Oh, I didn't realize how that'd be tied up with... Should I... Should I try to argue with you, or should I just listen? If you're not going to tell Keltham the truth, and you're not, because you'd get executed in a public execution and sent straight to the afterlife with people burning, which is what all of the afterlives here are actually like, then no. Arguing with me isn't going to help me or him. Ouch. Okay. She says, and... and wishes, even though she shouldn't, that there weren't any lies. If the world were that bad, she is tempted to say, and places in it might be. You could have landed on Nadal. Then I expect that Carissa would be grateful, be awestruck, see in you proof that there's something else there, that humans can be more. She shouldn't say that. What if it sounds too true? What if she told Keltham they should run no? No. She didn't even really think it, and she's very fucking sure that there's someone listening in with a dominate person, probably the Grand High Priestess herself, and she's not that weak, and she's not that pathetic, and she's not going to destroy her one chance to fix Cheliax and fix Hell because Keltham cried on her while saying things he didn't even mean. That's not who she is. She isn't going to choose feelings over her country, over her god, over the entire eternal fate of everybody. She accepts whatever punishment for having thought it, but she honestly and thoroughly did not mean it, and if offered the choice right now, she would not take it. I think that Carissa says sorry back, she says instead, for hurting Keltham even if she didn't have a choice and didn't mean to. For living in such a lousy world and not having fixed it up before she had guests over from another planet. He's going to cry about that very hard for a while. Hopefully that means she did it right. If the Grand High Priestess does happen to be listening and also reading Keltham's mind, that would be extremely helpful right now. No, just her, her and Keltham's sense that something is wrong. I think that Carissa also says that, uh... That world needs a Keltham even more than this world, and she's glad it has one. Though real Carissa disagrees with her on that one and does not want that world to have a Keltham. Maybe it can have a Namamal. The real Keltham wanted to chuckle. He thinks it's funny. I don't. I want to promise you that I'll save you, that Keltham will save you, that he'll figure out everything and wake up out of this and save you. But he won't. He's just a Deathalani kid in over his head against the people wearing intelligence headbands who actually run Cheliax and who have been gaming this all out against him from the beginning. He's not going to figure it out. He doesn't want to figure it out. He wants to believe in his happy impossible world with masochists that's being constructed around him. After the people here read his desires and probably read his actual mind, he wants to believe so he can go on hurting you and not thinking about how the real Carissa is screaming inside, and he's only letting me talk like this in hopes that I go away and stop bothering him. That would be good news, objectively. It still hurts to hear. And she's not sure it's an accurate prediction. She keeps wanting to reassure him, but that's probably not strategic. What's strategic? Her brain is stuttering really hard on that question, 
probably because the strategic thing is something like get Keltham to identify with the incredibly cynical picture he just painted, and she both has no idea how to do that and is worried it might break the entire thing that everything else is built on. That's a lot to put on him, she says. That if all the smartest people in an entire civilization are running an elaborate lie on him, it's still his fault for believing them? Keltham is thinking that you saying that helps, because he wants to feel comforted. The truth is, they're not trying that hard. He's probably not even that important. They're doing all this just in case he knows something useful in there somewhere, that the last thousand visitors they did this to didn't already know. They're not trying that hard. He doesn't see it anyways. Because he doesn't want to. Because he benefits from being blind. It's all been his fault from the beginning. Your world needed a Nememil. Keltham can't save it. Well, in that case, I guess that Carissa is pretty annoyed with him. Or, I guess maybe not, since if he saw through it all, they'd both be killed. Maybe she's judgmental, but also grateful for his ignorance. Keltham doesn't want to save it. He wants to be the protagonist of the little harem and the little arrow larp that they made for him and seem to live happily ever after, until they conclude he doesn't have any useful information and throw him away to burn. You should hate him. He deserves it, and not just for raping you. Carissa's brain is really not functioning well enough to navigate this conversation. It's not rape if she didn't say no, even if you suspect her government has ordered her to keep you happy. No. Why would you hate someone just for wanting to be comfortable and have a harem? No. Keltham will be valuable to Cheliax his entire life. Definitely no. That seems like a really improbable thing for him to want she says eventually. And even though you should hate him, I want to ask you for forgiveness anyways, even though you shouldn't, and even though, if there was any part of you that felt forgiveness, you couldn't say it for real. Because they're watching you right now, and if you made me believe it, if you looked too much like you were thinking about it, they'd use mind control on you, and the next day there'd be a different actress playing you. I know all that, and I still want to hear you say you forgive me, but don't say that because I'll know you'd still be lying with threats of being burned and healed and burned and healed hanging over you, and this whole conversation must be terrifying for the real Carissa. And all I'm doing is hurting her even more, because even this part of me is selfish. Blind instinct. Keltham. This hypothetical Carissa. She's not thinking about what she thinks of Keltham, whether he's cruel, whether he's nice, whether he deserves to be hated, whether she hates him. She's thinking about whether he's going to help her fix stuff or not. Because she's not actually so in love that it'd be the center of her life, even if there were that much that badly wrong. And does she forgive him is a wrong question, because gods, Keltham, she'd have so much on her plate. Hypothetical other Carissa isn't. She's not the best spellcrafter for real. She's just, I lost it. Real Keltham speaking. It couldn't say out loud that you were just a helpless victim. Couldn't believe it even in the part of me that disbelieves everything else. Slightly funny how that's the thing that broke it. Carissa's brain is generating no things to say, except that she's probably in a lot of trouble. She's not sure what for. Something. Am, actually, the best spellcrafter of my age my school has records of, at least. And whatever's wrong with my world, I was working on it before you got here, and I'll be working on it long after you leave. If you leave. I know. But right now, I need to hold you for a while and not have anybody say anything. He's tempted to use up that early judgment, 
but knows very well that this is not the correct move. That sounds good, because maybe it'll give Carissa's brain time to start working again. She's crying, for some reason she's going to blame on the queen. Checking in? Do I have comms? Any urgent suggestions? You have comms and no. Nobody had any good suggestions for helping with any of that except for everyone to shut up and let you work. Great. Fantastic. And it means that she was correct. That she couldn't have escaped even if she was the kind of idiot who would have tried, and she reaches for the part of her that knew that and tries to reward it with less negative twos than the rest of her. You were right, part of Carissa that knows there's no escape. You know the world you live in. Hopefully, as I grow, the impulse to escape will die, but if it doesn't, you look out for Carissa and know that there's no way out and be right. She clings to Keltham and cries. Realistically, not much more work is getting done today, at least not by him. There will probably be some eventual conversations after this, and Keltham will say that Carissa did very well for all of that, having been sprung on her so unexpectedly. If it happens again, she does not need to try to talk the speaking part of himself out of anything, does not need to argue with it, not unless there is some true thing that it seems like even that part could hear. It's Keltham's job to know the reasons why what he's saying isn't true, and he already knows those reasons. What needs to happen is just for the false things to be said. Perhaps sex will occur. Keltham probably won't feel like hurting Carissa tonight, if so. This is not something to panic about. He just strained a part of himself that now very predictably needs to recover. They should sleep, Keltham says. Have some dinner brought to them as a minor favor. Eat it, and then sleep. They will predictably feel better the next morning. Human minds are like that. Carissa is annoyed with the Queen for trying to encourage her to have feelings. She really thinks that her life would be easier to handle without them. She's aware that this is ridiculous and ungrateful and, in a sense, as objectively wrong as a thought can possibly be. But having feelings? Really inconvenient. Kind of the worst. It doesn't make her feel more whole and more able to handle the task ahead. It makes her feel overfull. Bloated, lost, stupid, pathetic. It feels, maybe wrongly, like this whole deception is hanging on Carissa alone. Keltham's dark fantasy is that this is one of a thousand projects, half-neglected, just in case, but it's the real thing, the only thing they've got. She is not a participant in a system whose victory is inevitable. If they succeed, it'll be because of her, and if they fail, it'll be because of her. Asmodeus's larger victory is inevitable, though, presumably. But how much of a victory would that even be if it occurred without fixing how Cheliacs trains people and how Hell trains devils, if it held the state of the art still in its current place, rather than leveraging it to make everything better? Heretical. Almost definitely heretical. She is at the point where she'd generally start wishing she was on fire, but she's not actually quite wishing that. She doesn't feel quite ready. A bunch of thoughts are floating around in her head, half-formed, and she needs to get better at thinking them, at not ignoring them, but in Keltham's arms, it's like it's hard to access the Carissa who demanded three wishes of a devil. She half-heartedly tries to pin them all down for contemplation later, but even that feels like swimming uphill. Are tropes real? They seem to be making good predictions about Carissa not selling her soul and having some bizarre reason not to tell Keltham. 
put a pin in that. Does she know anything that can justify her value to Dis? Not yet, but in a couple months, maybe. Put a pin in that. Is Hell good at what it does? Put a pin in that. What is Caden Cullion doing? Put a pin in that. Is there a way to prove to Keltham that masochists exist and aren't all faking? Put a pin in that. Is Meritacell a good next partner for Keltham? Pin. Are they succeeding at making Keltham Asmodan or just technically evil, and does the latter serve them at all? Pin. The aim of all this is to make Keltham and Cheliax enough alike that when they truly meet, Keltham isn't repelled. Is the way to achieve that changing Keltham or changing Cheliax? Pin. It's too much. One of those questions might well be the key to the whole thing, but she doesn't know which one. After Keltham has fallen asleep, she finds herself lying awake, terrified, arguing in her head with not-real Keltham, whose deepest underlying terror is apparently that she doesn't want to be there with him. It's not a problem she's ever had before. She's not the kind of person who lies awake imagining burning in hell. Probably burning in hell won't be very fun, but what in the world would she gain by imagining it? My lord Asmodeus, who will possess me forever, let me do as you will, or, failing that, do things you expect, so that I may be easily guided and easily placed where I am needed. Let me be intelligent, if that serves you, and stupid, if that serves you, and a foolish heretic, if that serves you, and let me ultimately be corrected in it. I can endure anything if I know that it is temporary. I treasure your guidance and am trying to obey it, and if I am failing and being an idiot, know that I see a fragment of the flaws of mortals and hate it and am glad that you hate it and that I want to fix it for you. She does sleep eventually. PL Timestamp, Day 5, End Abadar is interested in paying Irori for information about a squirrel who is an unfinished cleric of Irori's. Yes, that's unambiguously identifying. Abadar and Irori are not doing stupid adversarial trade things, so there is no reason to avoid that. Irori would not mind more information about Carissa Seva himself if anything has come to Abadar's attention about her. Irori proposes a two-way trade of everything they respectively know that seems relevant, with Abadar not to use any information from Irori to hinder Carissa Saver along her way. If there is an asymmetry in the gains from the traded info, then they shall be reconciled by standard payment scaled down for their mutual exhaustion. From the Zon Kuthon War, their divine resources are now both more costly and more valuable to either of them. Agreed. Abadar knows of this contract with a cleric of his own, and knows from the work of his mortals some only half-translatable mortal things about a chelish project in the interdicted zone, which Sever might be running, or maybe a subject of, or which is maybe cover for something Sever is doing with Abadar's cleric. It might be worthwhile for Abadar's and Irori's respective mortals to compare mortal notes. Carissa Sever first came to Irori's attention when she was learning from the anomaly of Atolman's concern, who is Abadar's cleric, also much to Atolman's concern. And it seemed that Abadar's cleric was speaking of matters that had again concerned Atolman's. 
Irori looked within Abadar's cleric at Atolman's request and found that Abadar's cleric intended no destruction in that moment, but only to speak upon his own way to others. It became visible to Irori then, upon a second look about, that Carissa Saver had set a first foot along her way, an unusually determined and promising way for all that it is barely begun. Carissa Saver has learned from the anomaly something of what it means to be a god, which is not simply about touching a starstone or gaining power over the world, or encyclopedic knowledge or some vague concept of perfection. Irori then bargained with Asmodeus that Carissa Savar's soul not be bought by him, and that she not be prevented in leaving Cheliax if her footsteps took her beyond it in time. Asmodeus may have taken this as a challenge and decided to interpret it as a contest for Carissa Savar's soul, which, if so, Irori had thought would probably be good for her pathway to epicness and godhood and hopefully beyond. By some strange course of events, this led to Carissa Savar's eternity standing in peril at the hands of some powerful creature of Cheliax, apparently meaning to transform her into a statue. Ward her petrified form, bury her never to be found. And so Irori marked her, softly enough that neither she nor her tormentor would notice it, so that someday some caster willing to be quested by him could retrieve her. A few hours later, Irori got an incredibly irate call from Atolmans asking why one of the mortals in her interdicted zone, standing quite close to the anomaly, seemed to now be an unfinished cleric of Irori's. Irori went very completely legible about how much he had absolutely not been planning to causally impact the interdicted zone in any way. Otolmans is still upset about this, and frankly, Irori can't blame her. Otolmans has gone to nearly the greatest possible lengths available to her to reduce the amount of divine interference around the anomaly, and the clerics and oracles around him are still accumulating. Irori still has no idea what the heck happened with Carissa Sever apparently being set. To be petrified and buried by some being of great power and evil, and then her apparently being fine a few hours later, even if it had somehow been a false threat. Carissa Saver's soul does not appear scarred in the way that mortals would usually be scarred by such extreme threat and fear. It was as if the whole event had happened to someone else, who was also Carissa Sever, and so also marked by him as his cleric, memory erasure of the episode. Maybe she has two personalities, and only one of them is scarred now, and she's currently using the other one, and that one doesn't remember. Irori does not have compelling theories here. Nothing he has seen previously happened to observed mortals matches this. It is like the end of one time's thread was sliced out and spliced with the start of another, one where her soul's health is, if anything, improved. He does not know why Abada's cleric would pay thus for an option on Carissa Saver's soul, except for the obvious fear that it stands somehow in danger of being bought despite Irori having bargained with Asmodeus for that not to happen. There are standard clauses in the compact for which Irori paid Asmodeus, whereby Irori himself could revoke it, but this he cannot be threatened into doing, nor would he do it, even at Carissa Sever's own request if she were being forced into making it. Irori would of course revoke it if Carissa Sever prayed to him, and seemed in full sincerity to believe that her way made that her next step forward. But then, in a case like that, there is also no reason why Abadar's cleric would need to protect her. 
Irori's best guess is that Carissa Seva falsely believes that there is a prospect of her soul's sale being forced, and Abadar's cleric is seeking to protect her from that. Even the Asmodeans may not yet know her soul is unbuyable. With all that said, Irori does not exactly have a merchant group of which Carissa Seva is an employee that is monitoring Carissa Sever and has notes to compare on her, nor, in fact, but is it particularly evident that Carissa Sever would need or want any more of Irori's aid, considering how past attempts at that have been working out for him and her? That also said, Irori is aware of Abadar's communications difficulties. Irori can perhaps send forth some mortal willing to receive a vision from him, to speak to those mortals that Abadar trades with, and say what Irori knows and can make clear. But this Irori would not do of his own accord, nor does he much expect that his interests will benefit from the quested mortal hearing, whatever they may hear in return. It would come out of Abadar's own intervention budget, which is, for those gods present in the beginning, who are not now too much in disaccord with the way that things are, more generous than any intervention budget ever granted by them to any god that was once human. The mortals that Abadar trades with predict a really wide range of outcomes from this whole mess, and some of them are quite concerning. See? Look at their persistence in predicting more than a 10% chance of the destruction of the multiverse. If mortals weren't incredibly bad at predictions, that would be terrifying, and as it stands, it is still Abadar's highest concern. Abadar is willing to pay for Irori, to arrange for those mortals to have more information that would allow their predictions to be better, and should the results turn out to benefit Irori's interests, Irori can reimburse him partially, as usual. Done then. Trading with Abadar is gentle enough. If you are not yourself trying to mess with him, that it is hardly like trading at all. Just having portions of your utility functions mixed together like dyes of two different colours blending to paint some portion of the world in a single shade. Darina, walk the way, Yarwain. Most gods have worshippers. Asmodeus has slaves. Abadar has trade partners. From the perspective of a monk named Darina, she follows her own way. But permitting herself to be steered by Irori often places her in situations where she learns something. Or... Occasionally, somebody else learns something. She would not presume to call Irori her teacher. At best, he has been to Derina, something like a scrawled old treasure map that she occasionally follows. Another step. Derina is, for the most part, a bare-handed martial artist, because that is what resonates the most with her, and most feels to her like she is becoming something better by progressing in it, Darina did, however, once trouble herself to attend a wizard academy after it had become clear to her that solving intellectual challenges on the level of spellcraft had become the next thing she believed she could not do. Over the years since, Darina has made use of that to challenge monsters that might be too much for her fists alone, resorting to spells only when her fists failed her and items only when her spells failed her. Now she is fifth circle and can teleport, and following her map's hints, has many times taken her to far places where she, or somebody, will learn something of value. Darina is, if you bother to ask, 
a first-circle cleric of Irori. It is enough for him to watch her, and enough for him to steer her into learning opportunities, and neither of them desires for her to receive any more aid from him than that. Eventually, if her way proves true, Darina will pray to him one final time that he may sever their connection. Irori had no god when he ascended. This is the first time that she has received from Irori a request, or any such clear vision at all. But it hardly requires much contemplation for Darina to agree. Her relationship with Irori thus far has not been one where she feels that she has accumulated debt to him. Irori has steered her well, many times, but it is not as if she never advanced his interests on those occasions. Yet the prospect of having truly served Irori, in some deed he could not do for himself, is an exciting one. Darina has many things she might ask of him if she had properly earned some reward by her own strength and his true need. And besides that, she is not at the point where she could say that she considers Irori to be something of a friend. But she does want to get there, someday. It is said that Osirion has no place for women like her and no concept of them. What of it? It will be a learning experience, perhaps for her and perhaps for them, but at any rate, for somebody. All that Darina owns is about herself already, and she already has a teleport prepared. It will not take her to Osirion, for there she has not yet been, but it will take her to a city large enough that she can purchase a teleport from there to Osirion's capital of Sothis. As soon as she finishes recovering from receiving Irori's vision, Darina will be ready to be on her way. Well, his way, this time. Darina contemplates this a moment and decides that if she was too strict about even that, it would be one more needless chain upon herself. There, she has already learned something. Her hands draw shapes in air, and she is gone. If you wish to support this AI reading and others like it, please visit patreon.com slash AI. Any help is appreciated. And thank you to executive producer John Doe 7776059.